Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Andrea. We are bringing you the Real Moms Real Life Podcast, your guide to self-empowerment and taking on each day as your best self. This is episode number 72. Today, Andrea and I are talking about vaccines. Let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear. Don't forget, all of the resources on this podcast are meant for information purposes only and not to be confused for medical advice or treatment. Hey, Andrea. Hey, Beth. How are you? I am doing good. I took a personal vacation last weekend. I went out to Colorado by myself without my husband or my kids to visit a friend of mine. And it was so rejuvenating. And yeah, it was like... I love my kids and I love being with them, but the idea of being across the country, more or less, and separate from them and not having to worry about them because I trust my husband 100,000%. So I just didn't even think about them unless I was FaceTiming them, which my daughter called me like three or four times a day to say hi, which is also really cute that she learned how to FaceTime on her iPad. Um, but otherwise I wasn't thinking about them. They have a baby that cried a little bit at night, but I was like, not mine. Go back to sleep. (laughs) So I am doing good. How are you this week? That sounds amazing. I saw your pictures. It just looked awesome. Um, we've, we've had like a rough couple of weeks. Let's see. Like Remy had 103 degree fever. I don't have food poisoning, you know, it's been been one of those weeks I mean I was in the past like two weeks yeah so we seem to all be recovered now I mean Remy has like a stuffy nose and cough or whatever I just feel like there's I don't know if it's allergies or colds it seems like every one of my patients yesterday had something and no one wanted to exercise so like I don't even know what no one seems to know what it is and it's just whatever it's with us (laughs) But I'm glad we are all on the men from the uh, more severe things. So, yeah, it's beautiful here, though, on plus side. Like, it's supposed to be, like, 70 and sunny all week. And then I was looking at next week, it's supposed to be, like, 78 and sunny. And I'm like, uh, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm sorry that you all have been sick, but hopefully with the nicer weather, everyone will, like, stay healthy. I feel like we're just getting out down here, like, getting out of that cold and flu season. So everyone's finally like, okay, we can breathe again. I'm not getting as many cancels of clients and all of that. So um, I'm definitely hoping that that's all going away as we get into spring towards summer. Yes, definitely. So this week, we are going to be talking about vaccines, and I know that this is a discussion that can create a lot of kind of heated emotions in people, no matter what side people are on. It's sort of like, ooh, we're talking about vaccines, and a lot of people are either totally on one side of the spectrum or on the other side of the spectrum. I feel like it's... It's, it's even more controversial than a topic like abortion where people can be like, well, I would never get an abortion, but I do feel like people should have the right to choose. This is a little bit different with the idea that, that the goal of vaccines um, is to hopefully eradicate um, some of these diseases. So we want to talk about some of the new bills that are legislation that's trying to go through, some concerns with the legislation, and then have a little bit of back and forth on some ideas and suggestions and things within that realm. How does that sound, Andrea? 
That sounds great. One of um, the big reasons that I had wanted to talk about this topic is exactly what Beth just mentioned is new laws that are in place. And we are not going to go into detail about all the different laws in all the different states because that would be crazy making. Um, but it's something that you can definitely just look up in your own state legislator what's going on. There's a you know Facebook group so you can join. I think I can, we can link to one. I think it's like Parents for Informed Choice. Um, and so what I want people to be aware of is that there is legislation being passed or, you know, on the floor to be passed or in the making of mandating vaccines. And there actually was just one passed in Washington state that mandates the MMR uh, vaccine for any, you know, school aged children, basically. I mean, it includes, um, it very much affects me, which is why I feel very passionate about this topic because Basically, we were looking at putting Remy into daycare, and we cannot now. Like, we can't put him into daycare or any preschool or school, and we're not really sure what we're going to do, but that's a different topic, um, until he gets his MMR, which we have chosen not to vaccinate. And that's why I just wanted to talk about this. So, to me, like that said, you know, the, the easier topic almost is abortion, because it's like, yeah, whatever, you do what you want, I do what I want. And that's a little bit of my thoughts around vaccines is like, I have no problem with anyone who is reading and educating themselves and is making the choice to vaccinate. Um, I still can't say with 100% certainty that I won't end up vaccinating, especially with these new laws. Um, but I do have, you know, a little bit of a problem with being forced to do so. And what I did want to put in is that what these laws are moving towards, and it's kind of this like slow moving towards is mandatory vaccination of everybody, all adults of the entire vaccine schedule that has been released. And so this is literally in the government Healthy People 2020. This isn't like a conspiracy theory because sometimes I tell people that and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, you're making things up. I'm like, no, 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 this is like a documented thing that they are moving towards, which means that if you're an adult and you haven't received Gardasil or chickenpox vaccine or um, other vaccines that your kid has received that you did not receive, um, in the future, again, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but there's a possibility that if you want to, you know, get a passport, or, you know, renew your driver's license, things like that, you are going to be needing documentation of every single vaccine. And I think what the scary part is is. What they're likely going to try to do is grandfather everything in, or I don't know if grandfather everything is the right word, but like any new vaccine that's going to come out that's added to the schedule is probably going to be then something you are required to get. And there's no choice in it. And so that's the part that I really have a huge issue against um, because I don't think uh, the government should have control over what is injected into our bodies. Any thoughts on that, Beth? Yeah, I mean, so so part of when I we were talking about this topic, I was like, all right, well, I need to do a little bit more research so that I can be more informed. And and the, the hard part that I have with this is that that kind of what I mentioned in the intro was that the goal of vaccines is to ultimately eradicate some of these diseases. So 
in, oh, I, I wrote it down, so I have to look it up. In, in 1979, smallpox was officially eradicated, and therefore um, we no longer have to get smallpox vaccines. The only people that get smallpox vaccines now are military personnel who might be the first responders in a bioterror attack. Basically, if there is a concern that somebody creates like a bioweapon of smallpox, they are then, they have this vaccine to do that. So by giving the smallpox vaccine, you know, throughout the world, they were able to effectively get rid of that. Now, with vaccines, the issue is that when, if the population is not uh, successfully immunized, and now that's a whole other thing, just because you had the vaccine doesn't mean you are necessarily immune to it. Um, but there are there is testing that can be done to determine if you're immune to it. The more people that are immunized, the less this disease is going to spread, particularly from third world countries that may not have access to these vaccines. So let's say, you know, someone visits a family member that's in a nicer part of I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna globally say like South America, and there happened to be an outbreak of measles, and it just got spread, and maybe they are carriers for it, and they brought it back, and then their baby that wasn't vaccinated ends up getting it, and they take them to the doctor, and then there's a couple kids there that aren't vaccinated that catch it, and it can. It, it sort of limits this, it, it makes it so that there's a higher chance of spread the less people that are getting it. So my concern with this is that if we are using our educational privilege of, okay, we are well-educated people, we know how to research these, we are um, able to fight to make this choice, what about the people that aren't able to make this choice. So, you know, whether it's they don't have access to health care, um, whether it's just the community that they live in, maybe it's rural and going to the doctor to get vaccines is uh, very, very difficult. Or there are some people who physically can't guess, get vaccines, like MMR, you can't get until your age of one. Um, and on that, I know that uh, Temple University recently had an outbreak of ex of measles that had 12 or 13 confirmed cases. And my neighbor was asking, oh, are you concerned about your nanny, who's also a college student, and her boyfriend happens to go to Temple University? Am I concerned about my nanny potentially bringing measles to my daughter? And it's kind of like, well, I can't, I can't worry about what I can't control. You know, I'm not going to tell my nanny that she can't come because she potential has the potential to be carrying, you know, carrying measles just from interaction of people in the environment. But there's this kind of overwhelming concern of, okay, well, what do we need to do to get everyone on the same page so that these so that people are willing to get vaccines, um, you know, and I think that kind of comes to, so why, why would somebody voluntarily choose not to get vaccines? So before I, before I answer that, I want to like establish a few of like my goals with talking about this, because I feel like sometimes 
people like myself who choose not to get vaccines are like, oh my God, you hate kids and like want them to die of disease. And it's like, oh no. Um, so the reason I choose not to get vaccines is because I want my child and other children to be happy, healthy, and safe. Like I want the best for our future generation. Um, and that is currently the reason why I am choosing not to vaccinate. And I want to also say that what I don't think is that by anyone who wants a vaccine or you know wants me to vaccinate my child, I don't think that they are voluntarily trying to hurt my child. I don't think doctors are in on this huge conspiracy theory that like, you know, they're trying to hurt kids and stuff like that. I don't think that at, at all. <laughs> so I want to make that part clear. So one of my friends brought that up to me. She's like, I just don't even see how, you know, you can, I don't like to use the term anti-vax, but it's like how you can be anti-vax because that would mean there's like this entire conspiracy theory among all health professionals and doctors and stuff. And I'm like, well, I don't actually think that there is a conspiracy theory among all health professionals and doctors that are in on this one like big thing to hurt our children. I don't think that at all. I think that the doctors giving vaccines have been, it's so ingrained in us that we need to vaccinate and that they need to vaccinate our children for their health, that it would be like equivalent to someone trying to tell me that like water is bad. And like, that would just really confuse my brain. And I would probably get super defensive if someone told me that. And I would probably keep trying to tell my clients, I mean, to drink water. Cause I'd be like, what are you talking about? So I feel like it's almost similar when doctors hear someone like myself bringing up concerns, like that's what they're hearing. Like, what are you talking about? Like that makes no sense because it's just so ingrained in their education. Um, and when you actually talk to doctors who go through med school and whatnot, they receive very, very little education on vaccines. It's a very global, like, oh, vaccines are safe. Give it to the kids. You have to do this to eradicate disease. And that's really the extent of the, I mean, obviously it's a little bit more than that, but that's like really the extent of the information they get. We don't, they do not go into what we're gonna go into today. So um, I choose not to vaccinate because in my research of the topic, actually, it might help to give a little bit of backstory. I wasn't 100% sure what I was going to do. What I was pretty sure of is that I wasn't, I was going to do a delayed schedule. So I never planned not to vaccinate. I was actually always very pro-vaccination. And then I read about like the Hep B vaccine, which is like right at birth. And I was like, all right, my child's not going to get Hep B because he isn't we have no risk of hepatitis B. I don't have it. He's not going to be having sex or engaging in like any drugs with needles. So I don't see any reason to give him to that, give him the happy vaccine on day one. So I decided that, but beyond that, I really wasn't sure yet. And then, um, I'm going to make this as brief as possible because it's a long story. So basically along the lines, pre him even being due for any of his other vaccines, I was, when he had a, fever of like 103 degrees as a uh, five week old. I took him to the emergency room. The doctor basically didn't care for him, instead chose to yell at me for not vaccinating my child, which he wasn't due for vaccines, and told me that because I didn't get the happy vaccine, that he was at risk for other infections. And this was like literally while I have a screaming child and I'm crying and I have no idea what's going on. And I had to be like, dude, that's not how vaccines work. And it was at that point, and then, then another visit when, like a week later, when my he, Remy was still on antibiotics, and I asked my doctor, like, hey, is this really the best time to be giving his two-month vaccines if he's still on antibiotics? Might that, like, not affect 
you know, his gut's being affected right now. I, I'm a little bit concerned that the, the vaccine wouldn't like work as well. Like, what are your thoughts? And my doctor like flipped out at me, basically called me a conspiracy theorist, like called me stupid. I mean, it didn't say the word stupid, but like, I was like, I was just asking questions. And it was those interactions with these medical professionals that made me be like, what the hell? And also made me be like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, it made me not trust what they had to say because getting a hep B vaccine will not protect against any other infection. Like that's not how a vaccine works. So I'm like, if that's what you're saying, then how am I supposed to trust what else you're saying? And if you're not going to sit here and agree with me that when our gut bacteria is, you know, being affected by antibiotics that they're, you know, even if it's not documented, our immune system is also then weakened then what, you know, what's going on. So it was actually, you can thank very, very pro vaccine doctors for me being now where I am, because that was what made me stop and be like, something is up here. And again, I don't, I really do. I don't think they were trying to like, I don't think they're in on conspiracy. I think they were just trying to do what was best and what they thought was best was that me vaccinating, but it led to this really me being like, the heck and that might just be my rebel personality so anyways that's why I am where I am now and in a very simple way to put it I asked my husband last night I was like how come you were okay with me just being like we're not vaccinating our child which we talked about a lot and we watched um, a bunch of things on it and like read a ton and he just said it as my husband would because I overcomplicate everything he goes I just don't think it makes sense to inject a neurotoxin into a baby and I was like a really good answer he's like i mean it's a known neurotoxin he's talking about the aluminum adjuvants that are in some vaccines not all of them he's like they'll just kind of seem dumb to inject it i'm like all right so that was his very simple answer um i'm gonna go a little bit more in depth do you want to say anything before i just like start rambling off though beth no i think that like that's the the insight of your your doctor just kind of being like almost attacking you for asking a question. I think that's part of the whole problem with this debate is that, you know, we can't, the people can't always ask questions. Um, my doctor's office was much more supportive. You know, I mentioned, I was thinking about, um, a delayed schedule and they're like, well, we have one of our doctors that, that we always have people talk to about that. So this is the doctor to, to reach out to, to have a conversation about what your options are and that kind of thing. So it, they were definitely, willing to talk to me about it and have a conversation. And I think that we've talked about before, if we get really angry or defensive about something, it's probably some underlying concern that we have. And maybe that day you just happen to be the sixth person that said, hey, we're not going to vaccinate today. And the doctor's like, what am I supposed to do? Um, because there sometimes are incentives for people to, for doctors to give vaccines. So um, and I think that the incentives, while are, 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 are well-meaning and okay, let's, let's make sure that everyone's educated and getting what they need. There's also this, well, that, you know, that underlying conspiracy theory of like, well, if my doctor's getting paid to give vaccines. It's, it's, it's more of the, well, this is the government 
like long-term goal, this is, this is the incentive to help the doctors achieve the goal, not necessarily to like pay them to give vaccines. So I, I do think that that is the hard part about this topic is that it is so just, uh, like anxiety producing. And so everyone just all of a sudden, like we're in like karate chop stance. (laughs) Totally. And so what I want to do is to try to keep things as factual as possible. And not that we would ever try to not say things that are facts, but I think one of the huge issues anytime people are in a vaccine debate or reading information is the the issue around vaccines that, again, most educated people who are choosing not to vaccinate, and like we tend to call ourselves pro-science, not anti-vax. And the issue is, is there's a lot of missing facts and data. So there's an absence of this data, and that's our problem. So it's really easy to fill in these absences with are like what our brains want to hear. So if on the, you know, pro-vax side, it's really easy to fill in some of the data with, well, then therefore they must be safe. And then I think in, you know, the anti-vax side, it starts to fill it in with this like, well, therefore they must not be safe. And I think that's where our brains go. And so I think recognizing where these holes are is like one of my biggest goals with this um, podcast episode is just to point out the holes because I think a lot of people don't realize where these holes are being filled in with a theory or an assumption. And um, I do want to say just because I'm using the term anti-vax because it's easy and familiar. And I don't, like I said, I'm going to either say pro-science or anti-vax. They are the same thing. And, um, or I mean, they're the same thing in my head. They're not the same thing in other people's heads. But um, I'm not anti-vaccine. Like, if they come out with a vaccine that can be proven to be safe, and I think it makes sense for my child to get it, I absolutely would get a vaccine. Like, I'm not completely against them. I'm not against the concept of them. Um, I think it's amazing. I can absolutely think the smallpox vaccine for me not having to worry about giving the smallpox vaccine. So I can I recognize that. Um, the big thing I want to talk about today is the difference between efficacy versus safety. So efficacy is, does this vaccine work to do what it says it's going to do? AKA, does a smallpox vaccine work to eradicate measles or to give you immunity against smallpox? Yes, absolutely. And for most vaccines, they have a very high efficacy. Some are better than others. And that's, I'm not going to get into that, but for instance, pertussis, one has actually a much lower efficacy than say measles. So the MMR has a much higher efficacy, although we are seeing a lot of mumps outbreaks recently, which are not talked about at all, but you can look it up. Not gonna talk and get into those either. A lot of mumps outbreaks among a very highly vaccinated population. So it's possible that measles has a much higher efficacy and mumps doesn't. I don't know the data on mumps. I know very little bit about mumps. (laughs) So I'm not gonna talk about it. But um, a really good example is if anyone is familiar with like Vioxx, It was an anti-inflammatory drug um, that came out and was pulled off the market in like 2008 or nine or something like that. And basically it had a great, it worked. It worked to help people's pain, which is what it was for. However, the safety profile of it was pretty bad and it killed a lot of people. So it gave a lot of people heart attacks. So it was pulled from the market. So therefore it had 
it worked. It said what it was going to do, killed people in the process. So now people who are just trying to, you know, manage their pain died. So I want to talk about the safety of vaccines. I totally believe in vaccines and their ability to give someone immunity against a disease. That is like not what this debate is about at all. The debate that, or the reason I choose not to vaccinate is because I don't think the immunity that the vaccine is giving is worth the potential side effects. Does that make sense, Beth? Definitely. And I think that for me, the the side effects that I, you know, when I did research on vaccines, the side effects that I found that were evident, I think the hard part with finding side effects in vaccines is that they can do, and, and they do have like a very specific testing system and vaccines are actually one of the most tested drugs on the market because they are so widely given. But the issue is that you can do trial runs on thousands, and I mean like maybe even tens of thousands of people, That and then there may be issues that come up that you don't find out until you have given it mass-produced. So um, for instance, like uh, in 1976, there was the swine flu epidemic, and then 45 million people were vaccinated in 10 weeks. So that's, I mean, you can do 100,000 people, but that compared to 45 million people that are vaccinating, there's a lot of things that come out. Um, as soon as they determined that the vaccine was contained, they discontinued giving that vaccine. So they were really tracking and monitoring it. Um, so it was kind of like, and, and again, this is a very specific vaccine, not one that's being given right now, but just, I, I do believe that they are tracking it. They are monitoring it as, as able, like the only way to see what all of the, um, side effects can be and the issues can be are to track and see what happens a little bit when you give it to millions of people. And while I don't want to say like, oh, let's just like see what happens, they are testing them on thousands of people beforehand. And as soon so, as, go ahead. I'm going to interrupt you because that's actually not true. And that's where the issue is. Um, the, sorry, <laughs> if that was true, then like I would have a very different stance on that this or you know we would have the information that's actually where a huge issue of the lack of data is so they are not they are not tested more than drugs they are not because of the way they are classified they are actually tested significantly less than drugs so most drugs are undergoing at least four years it depends on the drug to anywhere between like two to ten years for a drug on average about four years um, of clinical trials vaccines undergo way, way, way less. And they have a, like, so I like the MMR vaccine, for instance, which is one of the more controversial ones. And the ones that's been, I guess, you know, on the anti-vax side, you know, studied a little more. The trials that did it had, there was, I'm going to read a summary. There were eight clinical trials that in total had less than a thousand individuals out of which only 342 children received the MMR vaccine. That was the clinical, that was the data that the FDA had that approved the vaccine. So only 342 children received the MMR vaccine. 
of the trials, of those eight trials, they were only tracked for 42 days after injection. Never tracked any longer. When you look at their trials, more than half, and it literally is written in their summary, the FDA summary of the trials, more than half of the participants developed GI illness and upper respiratory infections. The upper respiratory was more around 40%. Or no, I think it was full GI, I think it was 40%, upper respiratory was 50% on average. Um, and there's no data about really what that was. So I can't speak to that anymore. What I do know is that there is some link to move um, MMR and other vaccines to childhood asthma. Um, and then the GI is very significant because as an nutritional therapist, we understand the role of the gut in the entire body. So obviously, let's be real. Okay, if a vaccine that's going to prevent my child from getting a serious disease gives them a tummy ache for a week or your arm is sore, like, that's fine, guys. Like, I don't give a shit about side effects like that. Like, we can deal with stuff like that, okay? That's no problem. However, this is where, again, we have this absence of data is what did, what were those, what was the GI illness? And that's what it's written as in the study. It says GI illness. What was it? What did it mean for their system? What happened to their system then? You're talking about disrupting the system of a, like a very, very young child in the time when their system is developing. So we don't know. That is where we can then make, start making some leaps. However, I don't want to go there right now um, in terms of like what I think it means because we don't, we do not know. And so what I'm calling for and what I want is let's study that. Like that's what most people want is like, let's actually study that. So the point is, this is not extensive testing done at all. And then the other point I wanted to bring up that you said is that, yes, I understand that in order to roll out a drug, you cannot test it on everyone before giving it. That makes no sense, obviously, because how would you do that? You have to like, there's got to be subjects and people who are agreeing to it and whatnot. However, there is no tracking, good tracking of it afterwards. So, and that is another thing that most people are just calling for is we want it tracked. So right now, the one tracking system that there is, is VAERS, um, V-A-E-R-S, um, the vaccine adverse effect. I forget what it's going for. Anyways, yeah, you know. It's, it's the vaccine adverse event reporting system. It was created okay. in 1990. Okay. So we have VAERS. Now, VAERS is... This is, this is the big issue with VAERS. If I try to say anything from VAERS as a reason of this is why I think vaccines are harmful because VAERS has like reported 300 some deaths or whatever from in the past couple years of MMR. I don't know. I'm making up those numbers. Don't quote me on that at all. If I said that, anyone in the science world or like a doctor would come back and say, VAERS is bullshit. But VAERS is the only tracking system we have. So if, as a scientist, then you're coming back and saying the only tracking system we have is bullshit and I can't use the data, then what data do we have? And VAERS, so VAERS is the only thing we have. It's terrible because it is voluntary. Um, and then most, and most parents don't know about it. Nothing on it is really greatly confirmed. You see, when you look up there, a lot of this like unconfirmed as related to vaccines, but pretty much everything says. And there was actually CDC 
had, gosh, I think it was, I did, sorry, I didn't write this down. I think it was Harvard. I don't know who me on that either, but it was a big university. They were supposed to be doing a study on how many people were accurately reporting to theirs. And also then on top of that, of like, what kind of vaccine reactions were we seeing, like looking kind of at the safety profile and outside tracking. And the number, the preliminary numbers that they started coming up with were so bad in terms of vaccine reactions and the reporting was so low. So it's, um, they were estimating and they still are estimating that only one to 2% of vaccine reactions are ever listed on VAERS. That the CDC pulled the study, it was never finished. So we do not have, again, we have this absence of information of no one has sat there then and looked at the information. And even if you try again, you we really can't say any of it's accurate because a lot of it you'll see like, oh, my child's arm hurt. And then like someone decided to report that. It's like, great, their arm hurt for three days. Who cares? Like that's not a big deal in the scheme of things. So it's, it's very, very challenging to, to, to know because it is not um, tracked. So there is no tracking system that is reliable. And so there is no tracking system that is reliable and there have not been mass data done. And so looking at then the studies that are done, so of those eight clinical trials that were done on the MMR vaccine, none of them were a randomized controlled trial comparing a vaccine to a placebo. And this is what you see with pretty much every single vaccine safety study that is done. None of them are placebo controlled. And that is how, for anyone who is unfamiliar with scientific studies, a placebo controlled study needs to be like the first thing that is done because it's comparing like, hey, how does someone do with like an injection of like a saline injection versus the vaccine? And, with, and that's how every drug is compared. It's like your sugar pill versus the drug itself. So there are no placebo controlled studies. There are no randomized controlled studies. There, you know, it is, the studies do not exist. So again, we have this absence of information. All the studies that are done on the MMR, for instance, uh, for example, were MMR versus just the mumps vaccine, MMR versus just the rubella, MMR versus just the measles, MMR versus some other vaccine. Um, and that's what you see also with the safety studies when they're pulling individual ingredients. So like thimerosal was a big controversial ingredient in vaccines. Again, it's not in most vaccines anymore, but the safety studies that proved it was safe were all, if we give this dose of thimerosal versus this dose of thimerosal, oh, the people who received twice the amount of thimerosal didn't have any more of an issue, so therefore thimerosal isn't an issue. And so that's not how you do studies. <laughs> like, that's not how studies work. <laughs> and so, again, you have no valid studies that are proving the safety that are looking at a placebo-controlled group. There is one that was done out of, like, Africa. So, again, I want to say we cannot use this study on an American population because the population in rural Africa is incredibly different than the one in America. However, their placebo-controlled studies showed that it was, like, for the DTAP. For the DTAP, this, uh, kids who received the DTAP were not shockingly, again, because the efficacy of vaccines is good, much less likely to get pertussis. And, and whatnot, and I guess I don't know how much test case there is in Africa, but anyways, 
However, the kids who received it were five times more likely to die of another illness or infection. So again, you have this like, okay, great, so it protects against this disease, but now it's killing kids of something else. Again, this is Africa. This is a completely different population, so I'm not going to see that here. I do have to stop Mm -hmm. you a little bit on that because... You know, we're talking about correlation versus causation. Yes, okay, the people that they were five percent more likely to get this, and 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 I I don't want the the thing to be say that oh the vaccine killed them of something else. You know, no. maybe the idea that vaccine possibly weakened their immune yes. system and then made them more susceptible to something else. I That's just, what it is. Yeah, you know, I think that kind of language is part of the problem of oh well it made this vaccine made them die of something it, or this vaccine killed them because yeah, they got no, something you're right. Else. I appreciate you correcting my language because you're right. It's not, and it wasn't like, oh, they just died right after the vaccine. Now they, you know, I don't know how long to follow up. I didn't like bring pull that study in and the numbers in just because I didn't want to talk about it since we're not in Africa. But um, yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's making them more susceptible to something else. And that is my, again, issue with vaccines is I don't, I don't think in most cases the vaccine itself in the moment is given for most children, is not going to have an issue. Now, there are many reported, um, you know, parents whose baby, super healthy baby, dies of an unknown cause 24 to 48 hours of, after a vaccine. You start reading these anecdotes. I'm not going to get into that right now because I think that's another issue. Again, you never have any confirmed thing with the vaccine, but I mean, I don't know. It's a little sketch, but I'm, I'm not even talking about that. So it's, it's what is these what are these vaccines doing to our system that might be hurting it down the road because we are seeing these huge core um, huge increases in autoimmunity, asthma, autism, all kinds of things that again I don't think the vaccines are necessarily the only cause. I think there's a lot of environmental things, but is it possible that the vaccines are triggering our, our immune system that something is happening that they're weakening our system to make us more susceptible or if we were already predisposed to something like that? It's sending us kind of our body over the edge to then go on to get one of these things. And again, we don't know. There is an absence of information here. There is a lot of biological like theory as to why a vaccine could lead to autoimmunity. But the study hasn't been, you know, fully done in a human population. But you could look at like the biological pathways to say, oh, this is a theory that is worth further studying <laughs> but the studies have not been done which is the, kind of the whole point and what i want people to understand is these studies have not been done um there's a lot of again like the concerning ingredients in there so you have your, your aluminum which is a known neurotoxin again like my husband said um you have aborted fetal cells you have egg protein in some vaccines it's not in most of them but I don't know about you, but I don't know if your kid's ever been asked if you have an egg allergy, you know, when you're receiving vaccines. And a lot of times they don't even check that. Um, There's monkey kidney cells, polysorbate 80. There's just a lot of ingredients in there that are like, do I want that injected? And I want to briefly talk about aluminum because it's the one that I'm most concerned about. And obviously my husband is too. And a lot of things you'll read is like, oh, well, we, you know, aluminum is like naturally found in breast milk or it's in other foods and the amount you're getting is, you know, so minimal. 
But the thing is, is injecting something is incredibly different than ingesting something. Because when it's ingested, 99% of it will never get into your system because your gut barrier is going to prevent it. So you just poop and pee it out. It's not that big of a deal. However, when injected, there's very, very few studies that are done on XG. I think there's only one study that was really done on it. The study showed that 28 days later, only 6% of the aluminum had been eliminated, meaning the rest of it is still in the body. What happened after 28 days? We do not know because the study was stopped. Again, we have this absence of information. So where's the other 94%? Somewhere deposited into like organs, cells, the brain, et cetera. And um, when you're looking at, well, how much aluminum is safe, again, there actually are no studies that are saying this. So most toxic substances are going to have a like amount that is safe to give. You know, you have to stay under this amount. But there really is, that doesn't exist for aluminum. So, hold on, I'm just finding numbers. So the closest that they could get to trying to find that is something that I, it was uh, the FDA states that premature newborns who receive um, paraenteral levels of aluminum at greater than four to five micrograms per kilogram per day accumulate aluminum, aluminum at levels associated with the central nervous system and bone toxicity. Um, and that tissue loading may occur even at lower rates of administration. So this is the only FDA kind of stated somewhat safety limit. So we don't know. So if you extrapolate from that, which again is not the best source of information, however, that's all we have. Um, it would it would mean that like a safe limit for a newborn, given a you know average weight, is like 17 and a half micrograms per day. The um, heavy vaccine has 250 micrograms of aluminum. So you're talking about the first day of life, you're injecting 250 micrograms of aluminum. When the FDA, the best we can guess, they're saying 17 and a half micrograms. And that's first day of life. So you can then keep looking at that out. Again, you have that you know, limit and then it keeps raising as they're growing. However, you know, they're not growing that much. At their two-month vaccine, they're getting 1,200 micrograms of aluminum into different vaccinations. So that exceeds the safe limit set by the FDA by 48 times. So you just keep seeing this at every vaccination that they are hugely, I think it's like 4,000 some micrograms of aluminum is injected by the time your kid is 18 months old. And aluminum adjuvants have been linked to autoimmune disease, like that's, that's like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, thyroid disease, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, MS. Um, it's linked to Alzheimer's, dementia, all kinds of issues. So again, it's like, we don't have the data to prove it, but start asking questions, start looking into this type of information. And I think that I, I definitely have I've read that information as well on the aluminum. I think that the big underlying thought and concern here is that there there isn't. And it's I I do understand that this is a hard thing to study and that sometimes um, you know, particularly, I guess, what it was it H1N1 that came out a few years ago, it was kind of like, oh, this new thing came out, it's killing a bunch of people, we better create a vaccine fast. So there's definitely 
sometimes a rush on that end. I mean, MMR has been out, I don't even know how long. So I feel like, well, they should have done some more research or have been tracking it a little bit better because yes, um, the vaccine events reporting system is, is terrible. Um, so I think that, you know, what, what would be best is if the, this debate could be less about just, you know, let's not keep bringing up like what these, we know that these ingredients are great. We know that they also all have a purpose in there, you know, like you need the body to actually attack the vaccine so that you can create antibodies, which is why they put a neurotoxin in there. Maybe they don't need 250 micrograms and maybe it doesn't need to be given to newborn baby. So there, there's definitely things that can be changed with it, but we need to be more comfortable having discussions about it and talking with our doctors and not just saying, you know what, I and and I think that this these new laws and legislation are making it even more like oh but I like to have the right to choose whether or not I get one but that is making all those people that might be more susceptible. So uh, when you're thinking about susceptibility and and whether or not the vaccine caused the problem or maybe there was an underlying issue that was exacerbated by the vaccine it very similar with the sudden infant death syndrome. So they started the back to sleep campaign in 1980 because, and they saw a drastic reduction in SIDS cases, sudden infant death syndrome. And basically the idea was they weren't saying that putting people, babies on their stomachs kills them. It is that if there is an unknown underlying something going on, and they're sleeping on their stomach, they may not be able to clear their airway and therefore they may die in their sleep. So it's like, okay, if we put every baby on their back, we're going to reduce the cases because we can't quite figure out what actually is making it. And it may be different things. Maybe children that have underlying, um, you know, there's some genetic links to autism that they're starting to pull out. And maybe kids that are born with these genetic links are more susceptible and then they get these vaccines and then that brings, you know, shows, shows its, you know, rears its ugly head a little bit or something like that. So I think that the, the point of this discussion is to say, inform yourself as much as possible. My insight is, you know, if you are privileged and educated enough, ask questions to your doctors. And not necessarily like I may ask a question and still plan on getting the vaccine, but asking a question can plant the seed of, you know, enough times like, oh, does this well-educated person asking me a uh, calm and appropriate question and do I know the answer? Because how many times is, gonna, is a doc, you know, am I asked a question and then I'm like, oh, you know, oh, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. And if you get asked enough, well, maybe I'll start looking into it and I don't think it's going to happen at a political level because it, politics is politics. I think that that we're so, we just butt heads so much. Um, so it really needs to kind of get into this grassroots of, okay, I mean, maybe I would love for a doctor's office to even do, let's do a week later follow-up. Because when you ask me three months later, you know, if I get my six months vaccines and you ask me at nine months, like, oh, well, how did the, how did so-and-so tolerate the vaccines? Like, I don't know. Like it was three months ago. Was it the vaccine? You know, yeah, she was fussy on and off, but was it the vaccines? Was it teething? Was it this? Was it that? You know, it's, it is really 
like let's let's help our doctors and let's try to encourage the doctors to start having a better tracking system of you know having a having a nurse call a week later hey i know so and so got x y and z i just wanted to see how they're feeling and you know like this and then keep asking at follow up visits and see what's happening um i would love more random controlled trials i think that would be fantastic um yeah, I can't I can't argue with that one because random controlled trials are great, you know. It's having a placebo that's uh, I think that would be great. I just I don't know how saying just, you know, personally choosing not to vaccine, vaccinate is not going to affect that. Now, maybe fighting the legislation of mandatory vaccines, maybe that can be geared towards okay, we're going to fight this, not because we don't want our children to vaccinate, and we're okay to vaccinate, but we want more testing to be done to truly prove that they're safe. So maybe this legislation is actually, the fact that it's coming out can be a good thing because it can get to the root of this issue so that we can probably stop giving some of these vaccines. I feel like some of these have been dragging on and on and on because they're just, they're not, they're not well tested and people aren't willing to get them. So they don't, and they just choose not to, whereas instead of just choosing not to, we need to, you know, call for, hey, I'm willing to get, I don't, I'm not adamantly opposed to vaccinating my child, but I need to have a strong study to prove it to me that it's, that it's worth it, that getting the vaccine is worth it more, you know, than the side effects that are not well known. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, right now, unfortunately, as far as I'm aware, there's no like studies in place or anything like that. And I think you brought up a good point of the susceptibility. And I definitely think that that probably is the case that there's a big difference between the genetic link. So it's not like autism is inherited genetically, but there's a genetic defect that is probably putting kids like possibly with MTHFR mutation, things like that. And there's other ones that are probably what is causing some kids to have a ne- such a negative reaction to vaccines. However, again, it's not studied, but it would be so not easy to study, but in a way, pretty easy to start figuring this out. There's already a lot of theories out on it, good places to start studying. And if they would just do that, genetic, genetic tests are so cheap. It's like a hundred bucks. Go get your kid genetically tested. Do they have the MTHFR and whatever these other little snips? And if they do, don't vaccinate. Cool all right, they are all good, vaccinate, and then you can be that much more confident about it. But again, these studies aren't being done, um, which is the problem and what I'm calling for, because until that study is done and whatnot, I'm not vaccinating. So um, I think my message to people is to really just start asking questions. Look at each individual vaccine by itself, because your risk in wherever you live, whatever your situation, are you in daycare? Is your baby at home with a nanny? Do you, you know, are you rural? Are you, what's your access to medical care? What's your history is going to play a role. And you can make a decision about, as of right now, before everything's mandated, you can make a decision between which one makes sense. Like if you have no hepatitis B in your family and hepatitis B is really only spread with sex and needles, do you need to give it to your newborn? Does that make sense for your family? Um, and if you're like going to have a nanny and you're really not exposing your you know, child to other kids in the first year of life, do you really need a lot of the ones that are, you know, more from like other kids that they might get like pertussis and whatnot? I don't know. You have to look at your each like your individual 
scenario and your kid's health risk. And I really urge you to look into then the disease itself that you're trying to vaccinate against. Because some of the diseases that you're trying to vaccinate against aren't that big of a deal in themselves. So it's like, is it worth the risk um, to even vaccinate? Because like, what is this? What would happen if my child got this disease? And in most cases, like measles, it's a very self-limiting disease and it's no big deal. So I, that's why I don't want to risk the MMR because I don't think measles is a big deal in a healthy child in America. Because that's what we're talking about here, not third world countries. Um, just like chicken pox, I, I think we're all familiar with chicken pox that we all got it as kids. It sucked for a week and then we were fine. So now we have, you know, better immunity to it. So I just think looking at that and then knowing that immunity is not lifelong from a vaccine. So that's just one point that I really wanted to make sure people understand. I know this episode is going really long, but I think this point is really important is herd immunity is one of these things that is quoted a lot. And yes, obviously, if 97% of the population is vaccinated, yes, you're going to completely reduce the risk of other people getting it. However, 90% of 97% of the population will never be vaccinated against and never has been vaccinated because vaccine immunity wears off, meaning most adults right now walking around do not have immunity to the vaccines that they they got as a child. So if they got the MMR or you, you as you're a mom right now, if you got the MMR when you were a kid, whatever the last time it is, you may not have immunity right now. So it's Immunity right now is probably more at like 40, 50%. It's never been much further over than that, even though a much higher population has been vaccinated because immunity wears off. And the scary thing about vaccines is each time a vaccine is giving and a booster is giving, they're starting to show that the immunity lasts shorter and shorter. So the first time it lasts like 10 to 20 years, and then it lasts, again, I don't have the accurate data on this, but they're theorizing that it's like, okay, then maybe it lasts five years and then a year and then six months. And now we've kind of fucked over an entire population because you can no longer just keep getting a vaccine because the your immune system like doesn't have the response. So now you're talking about people in their 60s and 70s that are now no longer immune to MMR. Now they're elderly now they're you know having a compromised immune system and the mmr vaccine is no longer going to work for them and i don't know what you're going to do now and we haven't seen that yet because like it's like now we're just starting to get into that age so it hasn't been studied yet again people aren't old enough yet but that is basically what's probably going to happen and now we are putting an entire older population at risk because you literally cannot vaccinate them because the vaccine no longer works for them. So it just becomes a much more complicated issue. So I just, again, urge you to start doing your research and looking at the data that is available. And I would also say if that you do have any political connections, then see what you can, you know, research into what what's going on in your state and your environment so that you can be informed. I think that that's one of the, like, the biggest thing that I am trying to do more of is informing myself about issues I care about. I think growing up, it was not, I was like, oh, well, that stuff doesn't affect me. And now it's like, wait, I'm an adult now. These choices, uh, they do affect me. And, you know, again, I, I feel like I, I like to bring up the the topic of abortion because I think that it's something that is like, 
you know, a little bit, it's, it's not as, it's not as controversial as vaccine, but it's like, you know what? Yeah, well, I wouldn't ever do this. So that doesn't affect me, but it's kind of like, oh, but maybe it, maybe it does. Maybe, uh, maybe it will, especially if you have kids, maybe the laws that we make now, I mean, laws do not change very often. So laws that happen now aren't going to be changed in your child's lifetime or in their child's lifetime, not possibly. So thinking about it now and being informed now to make the decision that is best for you. I think that, that that's the best. That's, that's what we can do to try to help and, and support. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today. Next week, we're going to talk about childhood anxiety with Kathleen Schwartz. Follow us on social media for news updates and calls for questions. You can find me, Beth, at Feats of Real Eats and Andrea at Dr. Andrea Moore on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode and write us a review. Show notes for this episode and all podcast-related information can be found at realmomsreallife.com. 